Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights, and this is as bad a fire as we It's our big pre-Dodge Power Brokers U.S. National Show. I got Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedragon on the way. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. We'll be talking pros, talking sportsmen, and talking about the biggest drag race on planet Earth. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip, and at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Bruce Pentagon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. It marks a victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey, everybody, it's Brian Loans back again to another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast coming off an exceptional weekend up in Brainerd, Minnesota. Maybe an exceptionally crazy weekend in Brainerd, Minnesota, but one that was just so much fun to uh, be a part of and certainly to spend in the weekend uh, in the booth, I should say, over the course of the weekend with Tony Pedragon really did set us up for uh, what promises to be an incredible U.S. Nationals this year. And yes, the U.S. Nationals may not be coming for another week, but uh, as I'll be out there starting on Tuesday so I can start calling sportsman cars with Alan on Wednesday, um, I, there will be no opportunity to make a show next week. So we're making our U.S. Nationals show this week. Have Tony Pedregon and Kevin McKenna coming on as we have uh, kind of created a tradition uh, if not a recurring segment or segments uh, where these guys come on and we kind of get ourselves set up for an upcoming event while reviewing what just happened. And, you know, there's so much to talk about with Brainerd. Um, it just kind of boggles the mind. We look at the the day that Tony Schumacher had on Sunday, the the recovery, if you will, of, um, of a car that seemed lost in the pits and they had some mechanical issues and electrical issues and Phil Schuler's able to step in really at the last second, um, with some old school mechanican and send the car down the racetrack in a manner that they knew it would not go the whole way without smoking the tires. Uh, you know, I, I, we we explained it as best we could on the show, but in reality, um, they basically kind of hardwired the magnetos. They had no electrical system on the car other than the ignition, so there was no dashboard. There was none of the other stuff. And so when you do what they did with the magnetos, you lose the ability to have your um, – let's call it proper timing curve function. So you know at some point it's going to spin the tires or shake real bad. And luckily for Tony Schumacher, uh, Josh Hart had bigger problems earlier than he did in that run, and he was able to get down the racetrack. Ultimately makes a final, ultimately loses to Steve Torrance. Torrance gets that first win of 2022, and um, boy, what timing that is, right? And we wait for this guy to win all year long, and he does it the race before we go to Indy. And he does it in a in a hard scrabble fashion. It was not a walk away. It was not a trouncing victory. It was pedaling. It was weird. It was sideways. It was the way pretty much everybody won uh, in Brainerd. If we look at even the funny car category, Robert Height uh, had a good car. Bob Tasker, of course, um, a car for the ages right now. I mean, that thing is just insanity. Five of the last six finals. Um, they've won what three of the last four. I mean, it's just it's just bonkers what they're doing. And they have peaked at what many would say is the right time. You know, if they come off uh, Brainerd and do what they did at Dead Indy, uh, set themselves up in a countdown position, it's just going to be it's just going to be incredible. And you know, the Brainerd situation was so interesting because of how quickly it turned. It went from the first round being very fast. Uh, obviously, we saw some just great runs, and then the sun was out for, for the first time of that entire race. The sun was was kind of on the racetrack constantly. There was very little cloud cover. And so we saw the racetrack get not to a, a level where a lot of tracks would suffer traction-wise, but it went from being so good to a little bit more greasy, and the conditions around the racetrack were still pretty good, so the cars were just to a T, basically, uh, effectively overpowered. Now, the exception to the rule, especially in the second round, was Justin Ashley. Uh, Mike Green had a tune-up dialed in that thing that was perfection. Went down like a 372 uh, nobody else was even close um, for Ashley. He would go on to smoke the tires in the next round and, and not make that final. But we just saw so much. And, you know, that was a unique race in the sense, too, that we had two professional categories there. We did not have the full slate of camping world classes. We had Nitro Funny Car and Top Fuel. Um, we had our three-hour TV window to, to, to tell those stories. And, you know, quite frankly, it was a lot of fun to be able to expand on some of that stuff and show you some things that otherwise you never would have seen um, for instance, the the Tony Schumacher drama in the pits. When you watched us uh, follow that, literally follow it uh, via helicopter, via golf cart, and then you 
that really cool shot of Jarrett, uh, got by Jarrett, our, our jib operator at the starting line. He's immensely talented. He was able to grab a shot of, of Schumacher's car kind of rounding that banked corner because the drag strip, of course, is part of the straightaway of the road course. And, you know, rounding that bank corner and kind of with a pretty good head of momentum uh, and steam behind him, they dropped the tow rope and he just kind of rolls silently up to the, the ready line and the crowd went bonkers. I mean, the crowd went nuts when he pulled up. Um, big kudos to Josh Hart, the RNL Carriers team, Ron Douglas. Um, class act because at some point they could have fired that car and just done their deal and, and that would have been the end of it. Uh, that is not what the fans wanted to see. Certainly, it would have been a – you could have blamed the guy, but it would have been kind of a letdown knowing that they were thrashing and working hard. So, as Josh said in his interview, it didn't go his way, but maybe that karma kind of comes back around in his direction at some point soon. And you have to believe it will. Um, he did the right thing there and, and obviously um, didn't quite have the tune-up in the tank he needed, but they can get him next week at Indy, and that'll be that. So – you know, we've had another, you know, another first time of the season winner in top fuel. The fact that it's Torrance maybe makes that even better. Um, he has made one heck of a case for himself. And, you know, depending on depending on how things go at the U.S. Nationals, if Mike Salinas has another weekend at Indy like he did in Brainerd, um, there's a good chance that Steve could actually pass him and go into the countdown in second. And that is the most menacing thing to think about to me. If that guy goes into the countdown at number two, then it almost becomes in, in my mind, you know, as a sports fan, as an anything fan, it's almost an inevitability that this guy's like going to have the points lead. And I do not, do not under any circumstance see if the Capco team is able to get the points lead. I do not see them relinquishing that at any point, whether that's one race into the countdown, whether that's four races into the countdown, it would just seem to me that the amount of effort, work, blood, sweat, and tears they have poured into that car, if and when they get the points lead back, trying to pry it out of their hands is going to be virtually impossible. And it's going to be fun for the rest of us to watch that process. But, man, if I'm racing top fuel right now, and there's a lot of people uh, kind of nervously sweating and either looking at their shoulder or over their shoulder or looking at um, looking at the backside of that, that Torrance top fuel dragster just wondering kind of what is in store for the rest of this year. When we get uh, both Tony Pedregon and Kevin McKenna on the phone, we'll be talking about the U.S. Nationals, and we're going kind of class by class like we typically do, but I also want to pick especially Kevin's brain on some of the hidden gems. For those of you coming to this race, um, there are things that you really should spend the time to do and experience and watch and appreciate that may not be on top of your radar, so that's going to be one of the topics we hit uh, once we get the fellows on the phone, but just to put a one last point on the Brainerd event... Um, you know, it, we can never thank our fans enough for coming out. It's it's such a awesome sight to look out a, a window of a broadcast booth and see a drag strip just jammed with people. I mean, Friday's crowd was solid. Saturday was a, effectively a, a sellout by all measure and stretch. And Sunday was right there with it. And so between that, the culture of the zoo and everything that goes on at Brainerd, the biggest thing to me is how engaged the fans are in Brainerd. The return row goes in front of the grandstand. So every driver is typically hanging out the side of the, the tow vehicle, waving to the crowd. The crowd's waving back. Uh, the way they reacted to Schumacher making his way to the starting line, you know, in dramatic fashion, it was super cool. Um, they appreciate upsets. They appreciate all the kind of intricate things that happen in drag racing. So the fans of Brainerd, uh, as wild and crazy as you are, you're some of the most passionate and certainly knowledgeable and active that we have i mean there are there are very few places that make the noise um based on racing not because you're being told to do the wave or something but they, they make the noise based on what they're seeing on the racetrack which is just a great reinforcement of uh of how many people are so dedicated to following the sport of nhra camping world drag racing so with all that being said we'll probably chat a little bit more uh, about Brainerd with these two fellows uh, that we're going to introduce right now Tony Pedregon who is the analyst to my left hand side as always when you watch TV at the NHRA and Fox broadcast and Kevin McKenna who is the senior editor of NHRA's National Dragster Magazine both of these guys live within earshot of Indianapolis or Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park and we welcome them both to the show how you doing fellas 
Hey, good morning. I'm doing well. Never thought I would be a professional uh, prognosticator, <laughs> but here, here we are. Well, here we are. What a country. What a time to be alive. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of that, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about Brainerd before we start talking about Indy. And uh, I want to start with Tony here because, you know, Tony, I went back and, and watched the show back, as I think all of us do when we get home or on the way home from a race. And it almost seemed like the personality of our show kind of took on the personality of Brainerd itself. It was just a fun Sunday. It was out of control. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, of course, the, the on-track action, I, I think, was as good as um, as good as good it gets. I mean, it was so unpredictable, but it was quick and it was fast. And I I don't quite understand uh, what changed between the first round and the second round in terms of the track surface. But, you know, that created a lot of drama for us. And, you know, of course, the turnaround. And I think, and I've watched um, most of the show. i got to go back and, and watch all of it. But I, I just think... You know, it was one of those races that that worked out great that we only featured uh, top field drags to nitro funny cars that we were able to, you know, to highlight and to, uh, to show some of the drama that almost takes place every race if you think about it. But, you know, the Tony Schumacher drama in the pits, getting up to the starting line, you know, the fact that Josh Hart waited for him. And uh, yeah. and then the Bob Casca, not quite as dramatic, but uh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on there. No, it really was, and and you know, Kevin, from your perspective, kind of in the on the, the media room side of it, uh, I'm guessing it was kind of bonkers up there as well. Yeah, I mean that really, uh, as Tony said, uh, that was a tale of two racetracks, uh, all with, within an hour or so. You know, we came out and, and you saw, you know, three sixties in the first round of top field, and yeah. you, you saw the quickest run of the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, out of Brittany Force, and you thought, okay, here we go. This is going to be this amazing day. And from that point forward, uh, it was a lot of tire smoke, a lot of finesse. And it, it honestly didn't make the racing any less entertaining. You know, the, the air of unpredictability w- was, uh, you know, fascinating. And, um, uh, you know, I, I guess it's just one of those things where if, if, you are a, if you're a top-level crew chief, those are the days where you earn it, where you've got to adapt, you've got to adapt, quickly and you don't really get a mulligan yeah absolutely and, and tony i think for our from our perspective having the, the lucas oil helicopter at that race was huge because the amount of pedaling and lane changes i mean the jr todd uh robert height run what are there was two or three lead changes in the course of a thousand feet it was nuts yeah so brian it really started you know with the reaction time from robert and then jr pulled ahead and then robert and robert spun the tires and it just a lot of and we don't get to see that and then when we when it does happen we don't really get that angle so and i think that picture is a little more clear than the drone shot that we get but yeah. uh you know it, it's uh, even the final the top fuel final you can see you can clearly see that tony schumacher was pulling away you know up until maybe just oh, before yeah. half track i always look at the pattern you know just to see where it starts to break the tires loose and and sometimes we capture that with certain camera angles but the overhead shot it's it's really tough to beat yeah and, and listen one last point i want to go over both you guys before we move on to indy is the fact that you know tasca's win was if not dominating uh, close to it uh torrance's win was important that he got it and certainly it sets them up nicely for the u.s nationals and maybe gives them a little win in their sales but by no means was anybody dominating the the top fuel side but man tasca was looking you know you can speak to this first tony but tasca was just in another league again yeah you know and it's just I think it's a surprise because, you know, look at how many races Robert Hyde has won this year. And I think Matt Hagen proved in that last qualifying session that they're not going anywhere. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to be a handful and they have the performance. I mean, if you go back to how they ran early in the year, I mean, it just, they, they've dominated, they've gone on their streaks. Robert has, uh, you know, when caps is won, they look pretty strong but not quite as strong as task. I mean, it just seems like their car, if you ask Neff to tune it to go down a back alley, um, he probably said low ET. It's just pretty impressive. It really is. And, and Kevin, on the top fuel side of things, you know, this was uh, in many ways a race of survival, and the Capital guys proved that they were the best at surviving. Yeah, and, and that probably goes back to uh, just the mountain of experience they've gained, uh, all different racetracks, all different conditions over the last four years when they've been dominating. Um, you know, I, I think you, you go back to that playbook, and, and it was interesting. You know, I asked Steve in the press room, I said, was there ever a point this year where you were tempted to, to just throw away the progress you've made, go back to your old combination, and do what got you here? And uh, 
uh, he admitted that that discussion had been had, but at the same time, he said, I, I could not do that to my guys. You know, they're loyal to me. They're the ones that got me here. And you don't just tell them all the hard work you put in is for nothing. Um, so so he, he totally understood that. And, you know, that's why they've decided to stay the course with the new combination. And, you know, they're obviously starting to see results now. Um, so I think they feel pretty confident going forward that uh, they can get back to maybe not exactly where they were, where, you know, where they sweep the countdown. Uh, but but certainly there'll be a factor once we get in there. And, you know, you moments ago, quite literally as we're recording this, uh, posted a story to NHRA.com involving Phil Schuler and his role at the Maynard Family Racing Team. So uh, since you're kind of uh, breaking that news, can you can you give us some insight into what you've uh, what you posted? Uh, yeah, I mean, as of uh, 10 a.m. this morning, we, we noted that, that Phil Schuler is officially a member of uh, Tony Schumacher's team. And, and it's not really a. Uh, th- that certainly isn't a huge secret to, to anyone that's paid attention the last few races. Um, you know, Phil Taylor has been there. Uh, he was there for, for, you know, the win in Seattle, the runner-up uh, last week in Brainerd. But, uh, you know, that, that gives them a, a, a pretty powerful lineup over there, um, you know, with uh, Todd Okahara and Mark Denner. Um, now you, you, you've got some pretty serious brain power. Uh, and I think it also shows how serious that uh, – the Maynard family is in, in, in building something here that's, uh, you know, for, for the future. Yeah, and, and Tony, you know, we, you know, Phil, I know Phil a little bit, and as much as uh, he loves, he loves pro mod racing. In fact, when he stepped away from, you know, pro mod grudge racing, all that type of stuff, when he stepped away from, from DSR, he kind of went and did that for, for several years. But um, obviously, as Kevin just intimated, um, Joe Maynard has made this decision worth, uh, worth Phil's while. Yeah, and I think it's good. I mean, I, I don't I think it's more than a coincidence. And it just goes to show you how, you know, even even good tuners and I and I'm of the opinion that Todd Okahara is as good as they come. And uh, I think everyone needs help. And whether it's help physically on the race car with the supervision, with all the different dynamics and aspects of assembling the car and prepping the car and make sure and make, making sure it's right. But also, you know, I think it's good for I've always felt that it was great for a tuner to have um, somebody that's objective to bounce off information. I mean, I yeah. saw it at work, and I learned this at an early uh, stage of my career when, you know, when I was hired by John Force, there was John Medlin. And, and you know, over time, we became good. We were able to win a couple races a year. But it wasn't until we added Dickie Venables. And Dickie was, you know, Dickie was a crew member, and, and he was just one of those guys that paid attention and that aspired to move up and, and become an assistant tuner. And I, but I saw the chemistry, and I saw what happened, and, and the, the how Dickie challenged John. So we went from a good team that was capable of winning two or three races in the course of a year to a great team by being able to win five or six or seven or eight races in a year. And and that was you know that was just because of the addition of of, of Dickie and his talented. And you can ask anyone. You walk around the pit, you have a conversation with John Medlin for a couple of minutes. Yeah. And it doesn't take you long to realize that he is one of the most intelligent guys out there. But it just goes to show you that even the smartest guys, there's so many different things and components with these cars that everybody needs some help. Yeah, I think it's a great addition to the team. It's always good to see Phil out there. And uh, and clearly his experience came into play when they were just trying to get that thing to do anything to go down the racetrack. And it wasn't an ideal situation around two, but it got him a win and uh, and off they went. And Phil said, man, we ran that baby old school. <laughs> and, it, and it worked out for him. So, you know, Kevin, let's transition to the U.S. Nationals. And the first topic I want to go over here is – I want to talk about a couple of the hidden gems. I know a lot of people listening to this will likely be coming to Indy, and, and obviously the you know the main four categories are what a lot of people concentrate on. But there are some things that you do not want to miss at this race that um, uh, you know highly informed folks like yourself will be paying close attention to. So give me a couple of yours. Uh, you, you know, you, you have the, the most obvious thing, which is a huge top fuel field. Yeah. But beyond that. Um, You've got pretty much full fields with a lot of talent in every other class all the way down the line. Uh, You you and I have discussed this. Uh, The one thing that is really going to be worth watching is Top Sportsman and Top Dragster because those are both 32-car fields, and you've currently got over 40 cars entered. Uh, Now, Top Dragster, which is essentially uh, a a carbon copy of early 1980s Top Fuel, these cars uh, go 6-0s. Uh, of course, they, they do it in a bracket racing format, but 
it would not surprise me to see a bump spot, you know, 618, 619. Which, to clarify for people listening, as quickly as you can legally go in this category is 610. So if you're talking about a 32-car field, you're going to have somebody that's going to run 610 with a zero in qualifying. Guaranteed. It's going to happen. And then, like you said, you can go back 32 spots. And I agree. I think it's going to be within a tenth of a second from 1 to 32. Yeah, that, that's that, that is a fantastic show where you know th- th- these cars are entertaining. You know, most of them are supercharged or they have nitrous. Uh, occasionally, they do big wheel stands. Uh, it really is an entertaining class to watch. Um, the other thing you have, obviously, super stock and stock class eliminations yep. early in the week yep. held on Thursday. Th- th- this is the, the mecca for those guys. Uh, a lot of them live for it. Uh, it. It is the highlight of their year. Uh, currently, you have over three hundred class cars entered in both super stock and stock. And we're talking, you know, vintage cars like, you know, Hemi Kudas and 69 Camaros, but also the new stuff, the Copo Camaros and the drag pack challengers. Um, that, that really is, uh, I mean, for my money, one of the world's best car shows and, um, it's uh, it's certainly worth watching. There is, and and it's it gets some publicity, maybe not as much as I would like, but the uh, the the Hemi Challenge uh, is back again this year, and there are I think a couple of dozen or close to a couple dozen entries in that thing. And um, you know when they parade those cars up the return road, it's one of the neatest single moments I think of the entire week. I think you're looking at obviously some of these things are recreations, but many of them are, are part of the original run of fifty of those cars that were made back in 1968, and the fact that these things are still as popular and as cool and as kind of um, they have this kind of myth about them or this kind of uh, aura about them. It's going to be a very fast field to even try to qualify for that thing this year. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think when, when you go to an event like Indy and you see all of this uh, nostalgic stuff, you know, like you said, you know, up to 20 or so of these 1968 factory, Henny darts and barracudas, you probably didn't have that many of them in 1968. That actually came out in race. And certainly they weren't running, you know, low eights at, yeah. at 160 miles an hour. Uh, the, the racing was never as close as it is today. Um, you know, I, I couldn't, I look at the entry list and I couldn't tell you who the favorite to win is because there's probably six or eight guys that, um, you know, if, if they bring what, what we think they're going to bring, uh, you know, have a decent shot to a, bring home the, the trophy and the money, which I think is $15,000 to win. So, so, so it's not a small amount that they're racing for by any means. Um, you know, th- that takes place on Friday. Uh, you know, we go down the list of, you know, you've got the two Pet Boys All-Star call-outs call for Top Fuel and Funny Car. Yeah. You have uh, Mountain Motor Pro Stock is running this event. I see 11 of them on the pre-entry list. I'm pretty sure that's just an eight-car field. It is. So yeah. you've so you got three, three guys there that aren't going to make it. Um Factory stock, we're up to 23 pre-entries. That I believe they run a 32-car field, so everyone will race. But you have a nice variety of Chevys, Dodges, and Fords there. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a great show. It really is, and that's a and the, and all these are you know it's it sounds insulting to call them quote unquote support races, but in some ways they are. You know, you go to a an IMSA race, they'll have different style of competition on the racetrack, and for us, it all builds up to this this grand Monday finale, but. Let's move into the Camping World Series. And, and Tony, I want to start with Pro Stock Motorcycle. And obviously, Joey Gladstone's playing the hot hand. Does Matt Smith have anything for this guy? Because you got to believe Smith's got something up his sleeve. And, and once again, the uh, the rules have been tweaked now. Um, let's see, the V-Twins have gotten – did the V-Twins get five pounds or the V-Twins lost five pounds? Either way, there's been a small weight adjustment once again in Pro Stock Bike. Yeah, I think he does. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you can never count him out. You know, the problem for Matt is it's like, I think even we're wondering, is it going to be with the four valve or is it going to be with the V twin? I yeah. mean, I, and he has the luxury of switching. I mean, he's going to have to throw a little weight on, but I think it, I think it's interesting. It's within the rules, uh, unless the rules change, but you know, right now I, it's funny. I think, I think Joey Gladstone's like caskets. Like who would have thought that anyone would have, uh, a, you know, a few hundreds. I, Gladstone has more on the field than Casket does. Yeah. But what I like about Joey, I mean, with the other than his, uh, not not limited to his, um, you know, his interviews. I mean, the guy is just absolutely genuine, and, and so are a lot of other ones. But you know, when I started doing this, one of the things I was told, and I didn't enjoy it. They said, "Listen to yourself. Just watch yourself. Listen." yourself and i learned a lot it took me a while i mean there was a lot of things i had to learn i wasn't used to you know hearing voices uh one let alone a couple i didn't know if it, 
my conscious or you know things <laughs> I you know when you listen to Joey Gladstone he's he's interesting to listen to it's not he's not trying to shove the same thing down our throats every time yep. and it's refreshing it is absolutely refreshing in the pro stock bike category to just hear that that authenticity and somebody that is genuine just like just like most people and the fact that he comes from the dirt and, and I say that uh, you know metaphorically that is uh, you know, I yeah. come from the dirt. You know, yeah. There's two ways you go racing. You have a lot of money. You can go to the moon if you if you can. You can afford it, uh, or you start from the ground up. And I that's I think is one of the great things about Joey Gladstone. It shows he's very humble, but he's good. More than any of that, he has talent. He's good, and and I think uh, throughout his career, it seems like he's been able to hold up to all those pressures because just in a couple of races. Uh, that he's won, and now that he has, you know, that target, so to speak, on his back, um, you know, he's holding up. Now, it get, it does change at the countdown, uh, but not for everyone. I mean, you can go back in history. Some guys can handle pressure, some can't. I always go back, not because he's my brother, but if you go back to one of the classic, um, you know, championships, it, it has to be cruise and force. Yeah. And, you know, when they won three, four consecutive races, you know, not, not a lot of guys can do that. Um, but some can, I've been there, done that, you know, I've cracked under pressure. Uh, I've risen to the occasion and, and I can appreciate the guys that can, that can hold, hold their mud, that can hold up to the pressures that a guy like Joey Gladstone is, is, uh, facing right now. Absolutely. And, and Kevin, I think one thing that's really neat on this entry sheet is both Hector Arana senior and junior are on it. Yeah. I, I do that. Hector senior had said he, he, he wanted to run. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't finished racing. He wanted to run another event or two. Uh, I think obviously Indy's a great place to make that happen. You know, can't say for sure this is the last time you'll see him, um, but it could be. So, so, so that will certainly be something worth watching. And then here to, here to do a little house cleaning. Um, the rules revision is uh, the Suzuki got a five pound increase up to six hundred and thirty pounds, while the V twins got a five pound reduction down to six thirty five. So the two combinations are within five pounds of each other. Um, and you know, how much difference is that going to make? Probably not a lot, you know, in the end, it's maybe a hundredth or so. Uh, and, and obviously the good teams will always control a variable like that. Um, but, but on your topic of Joey Gladstone, I'll say it because he's far too modest to do it. He is the best rider in the class right now, yeah. hands down. Uh, and he actually has been for a few seasons. He just has not had the bike to show that finally now with, this Vance and Hines four-cylinder, four-valve four-cylinder, uh, he has got the tools to work with, and it was all just a matter of timing where everything would come together, and now you know, they have a bike that they understand as far as tuning. You've got a rider that's in sync with the bike, and you know, it, it really reminds me of you know, like 2010, uh, 2010 season when Ellie Tonglet's game kind of came together um, where he was darn near unstoppable. And Joey's getting there, and, and there was a there was a level of I don't, I don't want to say comfort comfort when he the difference emotionally for him between the first and second win at the top end was was neat to see because the first one was obviously this emotionally overwhelming moment, and the second one was like yeah I'm supposed to be here and I'm supposed to be doing this right now and that was that was kind of a fun thing to see and and I think it does speak to your point Kevin that he is very comfortable in his own skin right now and that's I think what's led to a lot of this success there's no more of that guy that's trying to overcompensate for a motorcycle that might not have the guts he knows he has the bike and he just knows that he's capable of doing this as good as anybody else can yeah and and, and you know uh, there, there's nothing that inspires confidence like a few wind slips yeah uh and 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 and, 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 the, and the, fa the fact that he's now won you know eight, eight rounds in a row uh and, and done it with you know what has easily been the best bike in the field uh i'm sure coming into indy next week he he has the feeling that that he is unstoppable and the only real opponent is himself so if we talk about pro stock car, we uh, we get a couple of familiar faces back that we haven't seen in a while. Kenny Delco back on the sheet. He has a, a, a brand new car, apparently. Uh, Alan Przinski will be back. Uh, we have a guy named Chris Sweeney uh, in the attempting to qualify this weekend. But to me, it comes down to Greg Anderson and... Obviously, uh, you know, we've seen Anderson on this upward swing in terms of making late rounds. Uh, the car just coming up a little bit short twice, uh, really, to to um, 
I should say Troy Coughlin Jr. got him in different rounds at different races. But Tony, is this uh, is this the type of thing that's going to sustain itself to Indy? Like, is are those two two late round finishes enough to carry this guy maybe to his first win of the year? I, I'd love to say yes. I mean, I've seen it. I, I've seen it in the past, and you know, I I was I was pretty young when I watched Muhammad Ali's last fight, and you know, regardless of how much you cheer on a guy and. And, and, and uh, you know, with, with, with Ali, I mean, of course, it was physical. It's just completely different nature. But I think even in racing, I, I've seen drivers and I'm, I'm seeing drivers that lose that edge. Now, do they lose it permanently? Um, I think that's the, that's the $250,000 question for Greg. I mean, I will say this. He's got to do something different. Yeah. Because whatever he's been doing, however he's been thinking, however he's been pushing himself, it's not working. You've got to do something crazy. Um, you know, he doesn't red light that much. I'm not saying go out and red light, but you've got to put. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, if you if you really want a chance, because now it's not just Erica. There's a few roosters in the hen house. Now yeah. there's Troy Coffey Jr. You know, he's, he's pretty young, and he's doing pretty good. He's kind of fearless. And it seems like, you know, Greg has they found some improvement in his car. And so that means that, that Dallas is going to get that power. Kyle Perez is going to get that power. But those, I think, are the. I think those are. You look at the top six. You know, of course, Aaron Stanfield. If Troy's got it, that means Aaron might even pick up a little bit because I think his car has fallen off a little bit. But you know, I'd love to see it. I think. I think Greg is a, a classic champion. I, I. I like what what he stands for, what he says. But competitively, I'm just saying, guys got to wake up in the morning when that countdown starts and do something different. And I think a person who doesn't need to do a damn thing different as we've seen all season is, is Erica Enders. And is this, uh, is this going to be a fourth straight final round for her at, at Indy, Kevin? You know, it, it entirely possible that that's still, when you take the package as a whole, Erica and that team, you know, you've got the best car driver combination right now, even though, uh, you know, guys like Aaron Stanfield and Troy Coughlin Jr. seem to have closed the gap a bit. Um, you know, if, if you're handicapping the field, Erica is still the favorite. And, you know, she's been around long enough, done this enough that, you know, even the pressure of, of racing in uh, in Indy or in a final round doesn't really seem to get to her. Um, but, you know, as Tony pointed out, uh, you got a lot of sharpshooters in this field. Uh, I, I think it's just a matter of time before we see uh, Christian Quadra, you know, double O light his way to another final round. Um, I mean, he's he's money on the starting line. If they give him a car to get it done, uh, he, he's going to find a way here soon. Um, the, you know, the other guy that's been overlooked for pretty much the whole season is Bo Butner, and that car, uh, much like Troy Coughlin's, you know, th- there was. I, I mean, I can tell you they've been public about it. But there was a shock issue with both of those cars that they fixed in Denver. Yeah, and you've noticed since then, um, their results have both been drastically improved. Uh, and, and it's hard to imagine that they won't both come to Indy with a, you know, with, with a fighting chance of, of, of getting it done. And then, you know, to move over to, to what we were talking about with Greg, uh, you know, Greg obviously knows how to win. He's done it 99 times. Uh, he, you know, as Tony said, he needs to make a change. Really, he just needs to do what he's done many times before. You know, as you get older, maybe it gets a little more difficult. But, you know, he, he's got to find a way to... You know, be, be teen or 20 on the starting line, not 40 or 50. That That's the key. If he does that, there's a really good chance he wins his 100th race at Indy. And listen, Troy's car was Troy's car was undrivable uh, for. I mean, they DNQ'd once this year. You know what I mean? It's like that thing was that thing was so far off into the cabbage. It's like, damn, what are these guys doing? And like you said, it was a, it was a mechanical problem that they were having that they finally kind of got squared away. And you know, the guy is. Um, the guy is one of the most quiet kind of assassins we have out there. I mean, it's he keeps himself very composed, and I don't think any of this stuff is overwhelming to him. And I think he would really love the chance to love the chance to get back out in another final, especially at Indy with his, with his family legacy and everything. He seems to, you know, things interesting to me about Troy is he seems to understand, and I know he does understand kind of his family's place in this sport, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't seem to overwhelm him, which is kind of a kind of a neat thing to watch. Um, Let's go to Funny Car and and you know we might as well lead this off with Tasca. It's like who's going to stop this guy? I mean, I, it's it's been rare 
at this point in a season, like we, we always see people get off to a hot start, but Tony, it has been a few years since we have seen somebody at this point in the game have the run that they're on right now. Yeah, and you know, when you when you consider the competition, that makes it that much more impressive. And, you know, you can see him in the points, he's slowly working his way up. I mean, if he has a good race and, you know, Hagen or Caps, you know, trip up at the at the US Nationals, I mean he could he could potentially uh, be in second or third place. Um, but he's gonna be close enough that he could erase any lead by the time we get to Maple Grove. But you know, it's really nothing short of impressive. But you know, if you the, the one thing you have to consider, you look at height, Hagen, Caps, Force, you know, Todd, Cruz, um, you know, Alexis is tough, but you know, she's she's just there's a deficiency in consistency getting off the starting line. Uh, I think she did a very good job, um, you know, getting off and on the throttle. Really, I, I don't want to say it was better than Matt Hagen, even though it may have appeared that she did a better job of, of getting the car to recover because her car actually got the tires loose a little farther out. And that makes a big difference in, in a driver being able to get the car to recover or not. But she did a good job. But she's just got to, like Greg Anderson, she's got to do a better job. If you want to compete with those guys, um, you, you have to do a better job. You have to find something within yourself, whether it's what you believe or your diet. I don't know what it is, but I, <laughs> I do know I do know what it takes. But, you know, hi, Hagen, they all have championships. Bob's the only one that doesn't. And what that means is that, he is going to be put through the test. And, you know, sometimes when I'm up in the booth with you, Brian, we're talking, you know, I kind of just, I, I do this make-believe. I put myself in the seat because that's just my nature. And, um, you know, I had done it for so many years. And, you know, when I do that, when I get, when I really get into it, start thinking about it, it's like, oh, wait, I don't know if I want, I don't know if I want that nauseating feeling. That's why I've never, <laughs> that's why I've never, I can't for the life of me figure out, and it's just something that, you know, Pete and repeat, just people, drivers say because they have nothing better to say. They're not thinking. But when they use the word fun, I don't agree with it. You know, you're not going to yank the yeah. helmet off at half track. And you mean to tell me they're having fun. It's not fun. I understand you can enjoy it. And, and uh, you know, I did see a lot of hugs. I saw a lot of tire smoke in Brainerd, but I saw an awful lot of hugs. Is it me, guys? Is it just me? Or do you not see that many people hugging at NASCAR and IndyCar? And we would love to consider ourselves you know, amongst those uh, major forms of motorsports. Was there a lot of hugging, Kevin, or was it just me? Uh, you know, Chad, uh, yeah, now that you bring it up, there was. Uh, but, you know, I, that, that is one of the things that I love about this sport that separates it from others. There is a camaraderie here that maybe, you know, obviously it is extremely competitive. You, you have high-dollar sponsors. You have all the pressure that goes with that. But at the same time, I think there's sort of a, a communal feeling of, you know, th this is a fun sport. And, and, and hopefully these guys don't ever, and girls, don't ever lose sight of why you're doing this in the first place. Because if you don't enjoy it, it's not worth being out here. And, and I really think you do need to walk that line between, you know, being extremely competitive and just having the mentality that you go out there to win but, but, but also enjoy the ride because a lot of times it doesn't last long. And, and when it's over, you know, you may look back with a different uh, attitude. Yeah, I mean, to me, there's a difference. Like that, yeah, I mean, Dan, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Tony's <laughs> side of the seesaw here and, and just say that there's a difference between respect, respecting your opponent, respecting the sport, respecting the, you know, the gravity of what you're trying to do and – and just being off the rails. And to me, it's like I listened to Steve Torrance, and when I was listening to Steve Torrance talk, especially after the second round, and I said this to Tony on the show, like his voice had this little tinge in it that we hadn't heard in it, and it wasn't um, it wasn't the kind of driving intensity we've heard. It's like almost like, okay, like it's okay for a guy to sound like he's in there and enjoying what he's doing because ultimately I want a race car driver to be telling me that he's enjoying what he's doing. But – I think the whole other side of the spectrum is, you know, and I'm, I'm just going to say the guy's name. Josh Hart came out and, and talked about uh, Comp Plus. He came out and talked about the story about how he's out here and guys are trying to steal his crew and, and everything else. And one of the things he said was, you know, I came out here to have fun. And it's like, damn, everybody else came out here to rip your head off. And whether they're going <laughs> to tell you that or not, that's what they're trying to do. And winning is fun, obviously. Yeah. It, the winning part of it is fun. But I feel like the, the competition, to Tony's point, the competition isn't necessarily a, a, a trip to the, the playground. 
Yeah, and I and Kevin, where I'm coming from, and I I respect your take, and I agree with part of it, but you know, from my perspective, you know, when I owned a team, uh, and I'll give you an example. Let's say we pulled into the staging lanes. Okay, I'm getting ready. I'm strapping in the car, and I may or may not come back to the pits. Right. I always looked at it that way, uh, because I've I've seen enough. Right. We've seen good friends, people that we knew, uh, that we love dearly, that are not here anymore. So so I always understood that, and. And when I would roll my car into the staging lanes and some of the crew members, let's say some of the new ones that I had hired, I, I, they should be checking tire pressure. They should be checking everything, every component on that engine that they can see visually two or three times. But they're over there hugging somebody. I, I, I had a problem with that, and I would always address that. My expectations were to be professional, to act professional. And when I see it on the show, I just think, my God, this is like this. There's a bunch of Teletubbies at the end of the track, but I get it. I, I love the emotion of Krista Baldwin making her career run. The fact that Dale Creasy gets out and they lost, like Krista did, but they're happy. I get it. I completely understand that. I was happy for them. I was impressed. We talked about it on the show, but it's like, what are we doing out there when when we are competitors and we're hugging? I just don't see it in other forms of motorsports. I really don't see it in the NFL. Maybe after the game. But during the heat of battle, I, I just I, I guess I come from a different place. And, uh, you know, hey, I respect the guys that do it. But sometimes I used to get out of the car and it would take me a little while. And even when my best friend Tasca beat me in the final, that was tough. I had to give myself a few seconds and I and I, I came to terms with it. I went and gave him a hug. But 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 that's the one and only time. And it was tough. I will tell you, it was tough to give one of my closest friends a hug when he just beat my you know what <laughs> you know, kevin i want before we go to top fuel how about a potential cinderella story in funny car because obviously as you well know this race tends to produce at least one whether we go to kevin kinsley or we talk about the run mcmillan had one year i mean usually it's somebody either in funny car or top fuel that puts together kind of a cinderella day for themselves who could it be in funny car it is is Bobby Bodie not due for some good luck? <laughs> I tell you what, he is. I think he is. It, it, you know, I mean, it, it's obvious this kid can drive. Uh, you know, we, we've seen him make enough runs now and and not look the least bit out of place. The, the car, you know, it's not a 380 car, but it seems to go down the track more often than not. Um, you know, I, I would love to see someone like that. You know, m make a deep run into eliminations. I, I think it's entirely possible. Um, you know, you, you do kind of wonder a little bit, um, funny car as a whole, actually all the pro classes, and maybe Tony could speak to this a little bit, you know, you're at Indy for the most part, a lot of your place in the countdown is set. Um, you know, there's only a handful of people that are fighting to get in. So, so are you going in this week with the mentality of this is Indy? I want to win Indy. I want the mystique that goes with that. Or are, are you counting points? Um, and I would tend to think most people, it's the former, you know, they look at Indy being your, your one chance per year to, to win an event that's very, very special. And, and I think that's sort of the mentality. Well, one thing that Indy brings is a lot of surprises. You know, we've seen the best, the most deserving driver win. And, and both of you know that we've seen some guys that, you know, there are a few drivers out there with Indy on their resume. I don't. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that, but I, you know, I, I remember Brian Karate tuned, um, Frankie's car, my oldest brother, they showed up and they weren't, they weren't, nobody was talking about them, but Karate didn't have much of a budget, but that damn car was getting down the track and beating and upsetting. And it wasn't getting lucky. You're only going to get lucky one or two yeah. rounds, not, not four of them. And I'll be danged. And I, they, I don't think they won. I think they got pretty close to winning, even though I believe he won in Jim Dunn's car. This is Jim Dunn's car. This You're talking about John Force and Don Schumacher and, and all of his talented drivers. Everybody rolled into the track, and there was one guy that nobody expected that was the last man standing. So it could happen. When you talk about Bodie's car, and, and I, think that, I think that Cruz and his team laid up. And, and and this reminds me of drivers when they say, we're just going to race our, our, our <laughs> race, run our lane. You know, here's what I've got to say about anybody that says that. Good luck. Can you imagine being in the NFL? 
in the NFL and, and, and interviewing uh, Tom Brady or, or Russell Wilson, hey, how are you guys going to do today? How what, what what can we expect? Oh, we're just going to worry about our our offense. That's it. We're not going to look at any plays. We're not going to look at any any of their defense. We're not going to do our homework. So that is a big mistake when you don't look at Bob Bodie's incremental numbers in the last qualifying session, Brian, like I did and like you did, because I saw that that he didn't run that good. But I looked at his 60-foot time, his 330, his 660, and I thought to myself, oh, this car is going to run a mid to low 390. And I got a feeling that nobody over there in that first round looked at that because I think they laid up too much. It was a 388, 389 racetrack, and, you know, Cruz ran a 394. I think that was a mistake. I, I don't understand why these drivers aren't doing their homework, and I especially don't understand why when we ask them for something different and what we can expect or what they're thinking, that, they, that they're trying to kid us and saying, well, we're just racing our race. No, you're not. You've been thinking about that guy, but if you're not looking at the numbers, you're, you're, you're not doing your job. Well, and, and to your point, to put a to put a, a period on the end of it, you know, the teams all pay for and are provided round around everybody's runs and in incremental times. So if they if they truly were not concerned about who they were racing, <laughs> they would not need that information. At least I don't think they would. But anyway, circumstantial evidence aside, uh, let's go to Top Fuel, and, and this clearly is the um, the biggest story of the event. There are twenty three cars currently on the sheet. Um, I'm expecting that to be at least 24 by the deadline because Will Smith will be making uh, his professional debut after licensing with Larry Dixon. So that'll make 24, and it wouldn't surprise me to see maybe one more sneak on there as well, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with a hard 24. Kevin, is this a guarantee that we set the all-time bump spot, at which is currently at 377.1? If you look at uh, the, the long-range forecast for a week, if that holds where you know you have a Friday and a Saturday night session where the weather should be you know 70 degree range 70 you know 75 or so uh, I think it's almost a given because when you look at the 23 cars that are currently on there almost all of them uh, it, at least 18 or 19 yeah. have run those numbers before um, you know and then you have a few you know we watched Crystal Baldwin last week go 381 could, could that car pick up 400s absolutely um, so, so so yeah I, I think it's a given I also think it's a given that you may see a tour regular, one of the top, you know, I think we have 12 drivers that have been to every event. Uh, there's a really good chance one of them doesn't make it. If, if, if you slip up, if you don't get down the track in the good sessions, if we don't get all five in, uh, somebody might be a spectator on Monday. Yeah, and, and Tony, this speaks to what Kevin's point. I was going to ask you, with uh, with all the sessions we have, uh, but with all these cars, I mean, no one's going to be able to just come up here and tiptoe through the first one or two, right? I mean, it, you're going to have to come out of the gate really swinging to, to make sure you get a spot. Yeah, I, I think most of them have every intention of doing that. Uh, you know, a lot of cars stayed over after Brainerd and did a Monday test because there is no testing for the U.S. Nationals. Uh, but, you know, everybody, they always have, and they're going to continue to focus and set up for that Friday evening run. Uh, that's such an important run, and it really – it can set the stage in terms of if, if you run good, it sure does take a lot of pressure off. And, and and then you just you continue to just try to run better because you have the Friday evening and then you have the Saturday, which should be a later in the day run, regardless of the weather. And, of course, if it's cool, if some clouds roll in, then, well, that could make a few good sessions other than just two. But, you know, you look at – of course, it's going to be Brittany. Uh, Mike Salinas hasn't done much lately, but, you know, don't count. They're going to be in it. Uh, Justin Ashley, I mean, he's he continues to just prove that he's going to be one of the top three. But, you know, Antron, Antron's really turned it around. I mean, you look, they ran a 68, and I think they're trending in the right direction. Uh, and I say that because I look at the numbers, and, and I, I saw that pattern, yeah. uh, even though – you know, he was like Sean Langdon um, and and even, you know, a couple of other cars that just had a tendency to run okay when it was hot. But, you know, when it get, when it gets cool, it's, it's a whole other story. And the fact that Josh Hart ran at 366, to me, that puts them in a different category. And, you know, he's been hanging in there in the top five. So I, if I told you what I think the semifinals would be in top fuel, 
that could be 50-50. That's how good the field's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be something, and, and we haven't even mentioned it yet. We'll just talk briefly about it. We have the two Pep Boys call-out races, along with the Jags All-Stars and everything else going on this weekend, or the U.S. Nationals weekend, but we're going to be finishing the top fuel call-out, which began in Gainesville, and then we're going to be running, which we hope to uh, complete, uh, the Pep Boys All-Star Top Fuel uh, Funny Car call-out. And I'd rather concentrate on the funny car side of things here, Tony. I think it sounds like we're going to have J.R. Todd hanging out with us in the TV booth, with his, which is a shame for him because he didn't make the cut. But um, I guess it speaks to it speaks to how tough the category has been this year and how qualifying has been so important. And for a guy like J.R. to not be in that thing is a shocker. Yeah, and I, you know, if if this started at, um, earlier, they, yeah. they would be in it. I mean, they've really come on strong, but. You know, it's accumulation of, uh, of a period of time. And, you know, all the cars that are in it, you know, they've earned it. They deserve it. Some There's got to be some good car that wasn't going to make it uh, because there's eight and you look in funny car and, you know, there's there's a lot of good cars. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting, the fact that it is a call out. If you're the number one car, you know, who are you going to pick? It, it's going to be a little offensive. And it, I we talked about this, Brian. It's kind of like, remember, we used to play sports at the playground and we had to pick teams. <laughs> You always felt bad for the last one that was picked, right? And uh, I think that's what this call-out's going to be. I think the guy that is the first one to get picked, uh, I think he's going to have a little extra motivation to, uh, you know, to load her up. Uh, Kevin, does does ta- does rather Hyde have the guts to just straight up call out Tasca and try to get it over with in the first round? Uh, you know, if, if there were points at stake, that that would be a wise move. Um, I don't know if that's the, the proper strategy. <laughs> um, it, it, I mean, I mean, it, it would be, it would be fascinating, you know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if you did this, uh, you know, the higher, maybe if you got more money for calling out a higher seed, there was a little incentive there, you know. That that might be a future format to it's look good, at. For that's this. a good point, actually. Yeah. Uh, but 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 you know, assign a dollar value to each driver. I don't know. Um, but no, if, if I'm height, uh, I'm gonna look, uh, you know, t- t- towards the the bottom of the field and. You know, to, to Tony's point, if you don't want to be the first guy called, then do something about it. Go out there and send the number one qualifier packing and then say, all right, who's next? <laughs> right. You know, I mean, you kind of need to have that mentality of, you know, don't pick on me. You're not going to like what happens next. Um, and people are going to so, have the you're going to have that Friday night setup run, which could change things anyway. You know, if if you're if you have if you're eyeballing somebody, for instance, let's just I'm just throwing a name out there. If if uh, Heights got in the back of his mind today, like all right, maybe maybe Wilkerson's a guy I'm calling out first round. Well, and then Wilkerson goes out there and, and makes a you know, like say a number one or number two level run on Friday night. I think that also changes the dynamic. Oh, a- absolutely, and uh, you know the, the the fact that you actually get to see. Uh, you know, the hand you're dealt before you have to make a decision, um, you know, th- th- that probably changes everything. You know, if, you know, if you had someone go out there and, you know, throw the rods out on Friday night, maybe that's the guy I want uh, in, in the first round, you know, as opposed to, yeah, if Wilkerson lays one down and, and he, you know, is low ET or anything close to it, uh, I might want to avoid that car. Man. Well, Tony, give me a give me a final closing thought about what you're most looking forward to about this year's uh, Dodge Power Brokers U.S. Nationals. Well, I you know I think I go back and and uh, not too long ago and remember how tough it was for the sport, uh, how tough it was on all the racers during COVID, and and I, I think that should make us all appreciate you know the fact that to me this is this year marks the first time that 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 the U.S. Nationals are back the way they should be, you know, with the call outs, you know, there was the, what was it? The Krager top field classic and the Bud shootout. And, you know, for a racer uh, and, and even a fan, I, I think it's just, it's such a, an iconic race. And it, it reminds us that, yeah, it is back. It's back in a big way. You look at the car counts and uh, it seems like we're going to have some pretty good weather to go along with it. And that's all we need. But I, I just appreciate the fact that it's back to what it should be because, when you talk about the U.S. Nationals, um, and I looked up the big goal this morning, um, you know, I, I, I never, I raced a lot of years, and it was either Indy or the U.S. Nationals, and then I heard the big go on the show a thousand times, and um, I looked it up, and and it's it's the U.S. Nationals, and um, it's it's a, it's a bucket, it's a bucket list. 
So I, I kind of like, I always like to narrow it down. I like to call it the U.S. Nationals because I've heard it called the Nationals. I've heard it called the Indian Nationals, the big go. Um, but I like I like to refer, I, I don't want to, you know, muddy the waters. It's the U.S. Nationals. I think it's going to be bigger and better than ever. And and I'm not saying this, you know, I, I and I just to prove to you, I hope there's no bias. I mean, I've raced in some pretty good eras where there was some tough competition. But when I look at the lineup, of cars and and what we're seeing in the top 10 and all the shuffling i i think i think this is one for the ages i think the funny car competition is as good as ever top fuel is and top fuel's really gotten better because it was just we thought there was going to be like eight cars in contention but and then, it, then we you know go through the first half of the year and it well it only seemed like maybe three of them or four of them but now you have a couple of other drivers that know how to win, and I don't think we've seen the best of them. You know, Antron Brown, I think his car seems that, that they can really pick the performance up and run with the top five. Schumacher's, you know, he's won, he's gotten to a final, but, you know, they really haven't laid some real good runs out. But when I look at the early numbers, they just need to finish, you know, the last part of the track. So I just, because of the level of competition, I think it's, it's going to be as good as we've ever seen. And, uh, and that's a good thing. Agree, Kevin. Uh, Tony, you're not keeping up on current events. Uh, it, it was the big <laughs> go before before you and I were born. Uh, <laughs> I know, but I could never figure out why why was it called. It's like you know, I'm from the West Coast, and it was you know it was the Indian Nationals, and then um, but, you know, I started you, saying it's U.S. Nationals. But the, you know, it's like I could never figure out why am I hearing this, you know, 80 times on the show in lieu of other good information. And, and I had to look it up because I've, I've always joked about the big go, but I've kind of joked about it. And now I know officially what it is. But me personally, I call, I'm going to call it the U.S. Nationals, guys. <laughs> well, it, it, it might also be a revelation that Pomona, the Winter Nationals, is the big go west, if you ever happen to hear that. <laughs> um, but, but again, th- th- this is some, some Wally Parts era promotion. And it, 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 you know, it's a big part of the history of the sport. But b- back to the original question. Um, you know, the, the one thing about Indy, you know, again, it is the oldest, most prestigious event. And, um, you know, they say there's no crying in drag racing. Oh, yes, yeah, there, there is. is. Yeah. Go, 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 go down to the top yeah. end on Monday and watch a first-time winner handed a U.S. Nationals Wally, and you will see even the toughest men and, and women, uh, you know, I mean, we've seen some of them just turn into a blubbering mess. And it goes or, both ways. It, 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 I mean, how many people have we seen have a crushing final round loss and they're crying for other reasons, you know? Oh, oh absolutely. When, when you have a car that you feel like, um, you know, is money and you're going to get the job done and something happens and you don't, yes, that that's devastating. And, you know, th- that is the beauty of Indy. And, and I would argue that there is not another drag racing event anywhere in the world that brings out that sort of emotion. You know, I've been to big money bracket races and seen guys win hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, I've never seen one break down in tears. You know, obviously they're extremely happy. Never seen one break down in tears handed the check. But an Indy Wally, that hits differently. It absolutely does. And and the, the last point I'll make is that there is not a single race on earth it's like a um, you know, if the if if the U.S. Nationals is the is the center of the hurricane, then it spins off. So like this weekend, you get a regional race in New England that's get a bunch of people basically set up to then leave on Sunday and, and tow to Indy. You got a regional race in Bowling Green, which is one of the great you know kind of regional Lucas Oil races in the country. Everybody leaves there, goes to Indy. You got the Norwalk NMCA race that most of the field there that's running stock and super stock gets ready and loads up and goes to Indy. You got stuff going on in the western part of the country. You got guys going bracket racing. Just to get themselves tuned up, so this is the 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 net effect of Indy is so much bigger than any other drag race on the planet because of the fact that there are effectively races exist just to get people ready to come to this race. It's, it doesn't exist in any other in any other realm of drag racing. Sure, and, and I'll throw this out here: I, I live about two miles from the drag strip at Indy, and I can tell you, uh, you know, we don't send race cars down the track for a week. There are already trailers lined up outside the gate, as there typically is, uh, you know, as much as 10, 12 days before uh, the start of the event. 
It's going to be fantastic. All all signs pointing to uh, a bunch of people loading in the place as well. So a lot of excitement around the spectator side of things to boot. Guys, thank you so much, as always, for taking the time to hang out. Great uh, great look forward to Indy. Great recap of Brainerd. And I'll see you guys. Uh, I'll see you in your, both of your in your hometowns, or at least current hometowns, in just a few days. Yeah, yeah, I hear I might have a, a squatter next week. So uh, you, got me for, you, you, you got me for a couple of days. I'm going to do some couch surfing at your house for a couple of days. Well, you're, you're, you're always welcome. Tony, thanks Brian a lot, man. Stephen, Brian, Stephen, I was going to ask if I could stay at your house for a couple of days, uh, Kevin, but I guess uh, <laughs> oh, he's a crap. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 you're, you're, you're welcome as well. All right, see you guys there. All right, fellas, Bye. thank you. And there you have it, an hour-long chat that barely begins to scratch the surface of the 68th running of the Dodge Power Brokers NHRA U.S. Nationals. Call it what you will. Tony's got his opinions. Kevin's got his. It is going to be a race for the ages. It, it really is. It's it's my favorite uh, week of the year, uh, getting there on a Tuesday, leaving there the following Tuesday. I, I kind of become, at least I feel my uh, in the back of my mind, an Indiana resident for the week. Um, you really get taken and enveloped by this event. It is Every ounce of what you think it is. If you've never been to the U.S. Nationals, please, please, please come and see us. It is, um, you know, it is the most angering thing when people say, well, it's just like every other race. And anybody that tells you the U.S. Nationals is like any other race is an idiot that knows nothing about drag racing. And that's really my opinion on that. I don't need to elaborate. Come see us at Indy, or you could watch all weekend long, loads and loads, hours and hours of coverage, starting on Saturday on FS1. Sunday continues. Monday continues more. On Monday, elimination coverage will begin on FS1, and then it will transition to your local Fox affiliate for rounds two through four to finish the race. So I think what is important to understand is that you can flip on the TV starting on Saturday, follow what is going to be an incredible qualifying situation, the Pep Boys All-Star Top Fuel call-out finish, the Pep Boys Top uh, Nitro Funny Car call-out start to finish, Uh, and again, we're going to have a special guest in the booth for that. Then we're going to go to Sunday. You'll see final qualifying coverage in all of our categories. And Monday, five hours of live coverage from the U.S. Nationals. It is a day that we look forward to all year long. Thanks for listening. As always, please tune in and watch the Dodge Power Brokers NHRA U.S. Nationals. Score some tickets. Come see us at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. It's the race for the ages. It's the race for history. It's the largest, most prestigious drag race on earth. And I, for one, cannot wait to get there. Thanks for listening. We'll be back the week after the U.S. Nationals.